Hey, this is Ron Keel, the metal cowboy from the Ron Keel Band, Steeler and Keel. You're listening to the Thunder Underground. Crank it up and keep it up. Welcome to episode 269 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent Jason here. And this week, we've got Ron Keel joining us. Holy shit. Yeah, that's really cool. That's uh, another one of those, who would have thought, you know, Yeah, right. five years ago when we started this thing. Who would have thunk? We've got Ron Keel, who, of course, you all know <laughs> from the band Keel. He also now has the Ron Keel band, and he was with Steeler back in the day as well. So we're going to get into all that with Ron here in a bit. But first, got to let you know that we're sponsored by Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Sunset Tattoo is located at 3146 East 15th Street, right in Midtown Tulsa. Give them a call or shoot them an email, however you want to interact, so that you can set up an appointment to come in and talk about whatever work you need done. You can also get on their Facebook or their Instagram to see a ton of photos. They do a lot of great work. We're both looking forward to getting in there ourselves. Of course. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. They're mother approved. They've been doing this for 25 plus years. So you know you're getting quality work. And we're very glad to have them on board here. We're also sponsored by MedFarm, which is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma at 24683 East Highway 51. Their slogan is Cannabis with a Cause because 30% of their proceeds are going to help build no-kill animal shelters. So you can get in there and get whatever products you need, and then in turn, 30% of what you pay is going to help animals that are in need themselves. So get in there and tell them we sent you, and if you do that, if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your order, which is very cool. They also run other specials a lot, so follow them on Facebook, MedFarm, that's P-H-A-R-M. Follow them on Instagram, at MedFarmOK. Their website is MedFarmOK.com, and you can see all their products listed on Leafly.com. They've got a huge selection. On top of all that, they've got a drive-thru, which makes it nice and easy. You can text them your order, you can call them your order, and then just drive up, drive through, get your products, and get on out of there. So, get a hold of MedFarm and tell them we sent you. Finally, DEB Concerts. Great promoter right here in Tulsa that has brought a shitload of amazing artists to downtown Tulsa. Definitely. Saxon, Last in Line, Buck Cherry, Busto Blanco, Warrant, Lita Ford... Docking, Junkyard, L.A. Guns, a huge long list. And they've been putting on the D&B processing stage in the Roadhouse area at Rockland over the last couple of years as well. And as you all know, concerts are not really happening at this moment, but maybe we'll get June 26th. will still happen because it's still on the books. That's Texas Hippie Coalition at the Ideal Ballroom with Sweat and Bullets and Poster Child opening. Lynn Hernandez of KMOD will be hosting that show. That's the rescheduled date from their original April show. And then, of course, recently announced the New Metal Revival tour has been canceled. The Poison show was just announced this week that it is being postponed. So it's not officially canceled, so we should still get Poison with Tom Kiefer and Sebastian Bach at the BOK Center in Tulsa sometime in the coming who knows when. <laughs> right. Later this year or... More likely 2021, when Poison is back out on the road with the stadium tour with Def Leppard and Motley Crue. So, we'll of course let you know about that or any other changes or anything coming up. I know Doug Burgess mentioned to us a couple other shows he had 
planned for later in the fall. So since they're a smaller venue, maybe it'll happen. But keep on the DEB Concerts page on Facebook or DEBconcerts.com to keep up-to-date information. And, of course, we'll bring it to you here as well. So just thank you to DEB Concerts. Before we get into this, uh, let's talk about the Dropkick Murphys. Oh, okay. Because I just thought, well, you we're going to... You we're, just surprised me. Yeah, because you mentioned it. And we, we've got our live stream that we've been doing weekly. Last week we did it on Tuesday because I was out of town later in the week. But we'll be back Thursday night at 7 p.m. Central. And we usually talk about this kind of stuff there. But for those of you that are only listening to one or the other, Dropkick Murphys <laughs> did a live stream this past Friday. Right. And unlike most bands... It was uh, a little unique. It wasn't just a Zoom thing from their their houses. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, multi-camera, multi-drones, uh, live from Fenway Park, an empty Fenway Park in Boston. Um, and they were out in the middle of the field. Uh, each, you know, there's a guitar player at first, a drummer at second, another guitar player at third, and so on. You get it. And uh, Ken Casey and Al Barr were on the pitcher's mound singing. And, uh, I mean, Hey, in this, in this age of what we're going through, I mean, that's definitely a unique way to do a show, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, uh, <clears throat> Bruce, Bruce Springsteen came in at the end, uh, you know, on, on a live stream from New Jersey and did uh shipping up to Boston and American land. Um, so it was cool. Um, there's some great overhead shots of everything. And, um, again, just, you know, in the, in the way that, like you said, it's not just a zoom thing. It's not, it's not just, uh, your, your usual zoom videos that we see bands doing, which are great. Yeah. Don't get us wrong, but this is just a really cool, unique way to, to, uh, you know, keep, keep everything going and keep it out there. Um, and, uh, you know, they brought, back some old stuff like Sunshine Highway and the Fighting 69th, um, which I like. I would like them to do more old stuff. Um, that's one band that I think like the last five years or so, they really just keep current, which is great. You know, you want to, you want to, you really want to get your new stuff out there, but I mean, I don't know. I'd like some, some rare gems here and there. <laughs> right. So they're finally starting to do that. Uh, they did a, uh, can't put your arms around a memory by Johnny Thunders. Yeah, that's that was great. great. So yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a cool little deal there. A whole two hours of music. They should have brought Duff McKagan after sing that, right? <laughs> right. I mean, because that's where my mind goes immediately. <laughs> it is you me. Know, I'm not when, when 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 I'm not joking. Yeah, when he. Uh, no, I know. Oh, God, fucking, I know if you're a bit sarcastic. No, that's because I mean spaghetti incident, and that was. Yeah. I mean, that was a great fucking song. Yeah. So I mean, I know it's not a Guns and Roses song, but. Still, <clears throat> hey, he sang it live one of the times I saw him in 2016. So really, yeah, there you go. And so they they uh, Al Barb took all the vocals on that. Okay. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So that was that was uh, pretty cool. Well, so you know, because I was wondering, I haven't watched it yet, but I was wondering beforehand, you know, like how they would set up, and you kind of explain that, but also like sound wise, when you're outside in an empty place with no crowd noise or anything it's like and it still sounded oh excellent or what well i mean if you were there who knows what the hell it sounded like right and i guess who gives with a, technology yeah, they who, can make it sound like who gives a fuck really if if they have their monitors in and they can hear themselves 
But you know, on the TV, it sounded great. Okay. I mean, it sounded sounded perfect. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Cool. Um, well, I'm definitely gonna uh, check that. Yeah, out. you you need to. I mean, for uh, I, I can't. I'm in no way technical in any way, shape, or form. Yes, I play guitar and I've had amps and I've been in, in a band and. But that doesn't mean nothing. I don't know. I just plug in and go. But I, I got to think, you know, when you've got a, a, a band and a band with eight fucking dudes in it. <clears throat> yeah. You've got all that gear and then all the stuff to all the sound stuff and all the, the fuck, all the fucking shit to get it on the Internet. I, I, I can only imagine what kind of work that takes. So awesome undertaking. And it was great that they can make that happen. And. You know, if this horse shit goes on any longer, you know, you're going to see more bands doing it. Yeah. I mean, it can't be cheap. No. It cannot. I mean, the fucking, I wonder how much it was just to rent out Fenway Park alone. But maybe well, somebody donated it because it's not being fucking used anyway. So, I don't Plus, know. I mean, it's a band that's done stuff at Fenway before. Right. And they're like local Boston heroes. Yes. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't be surprised if they just said, Hey, we promote Fenway park right. on our video. And it was just yeah. like, hey, yeah, come out here and play. So you never, you never know. Really. Right. Excuse me. They talked about in between songs, you know, all the times they've played Fenway before, like on the warning track or, you know, in the, in the stands or there's one, I was, I was telling Melissa, there's one show, like remember they did a tour with like, it was like flogging Molly and street dogs and mighty, mighty boss tones or something. And it was more of just like a set up, like an outdoor show, you know, with a stage and everything. But this is the first time they were just playing straight on the field. Right. You know, in, in the middle of the field with a dude at each base and whatever the shit. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it, and it's, it's definitely something you haven't seen before. Yeah. So again, it was just really cool. If, They've never played shows where they're 90 feet apart from each other. <laughs> exactly. They were definitely social distancing. Yeah. Check it out if uh, if that's your thing. Um, even if not, just check it out for a song or two just to see the visual of it. Um, just, again, it's unique. So yeah, it was definitely worth talking about. Yeah. Well, another one, speaking of the Zoom things, last week, I believe it was last Monday, was the... Sorry, the 27th anniversary of Sound of White Noise. Okay. And that's another one. I never just like, did look that up. I you haven't watched this yet? No, okay. I need to see that. Just out of the blue, like, well, like all these things are. It's not like they announce them, but right. Charlie Benante dropped a video of him and John Bush playing Packaged Rebellion. Oh, see, I didn't even know John Bush was in this thing. Yeah, that was the big deal because it was him and John Bush for the first time since, wow. you know, well, since Bush wasn't in the band anymore. Yeah. And it was kind of like when he, it was just them two, Charlie playing guitar and John singing. No, wow. no drums That's or bass. Crazy. And Charlie's like uh, description, I, I can't remember exactly how he, he worded it, but it was basically all the lines, you know, just like enjoy this for what it is, a song of, from two guys. It's nothing more, you know, just basically saying don't like, take anything into this. Like, like you know, John's bugging yeah. the band, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, you know, these days you got to do, probably. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny. Well, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, we know, and, you know, if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know that that's one of our favorite bands, and that's absolutely one of their best albums, if not yeah. their best album, in my opinion. And right. to have him and John Bush performing together, not only that, 
you know, they picked one of the songs that wasn't at least, you know, a radio song, if you were to call it that. Right. And it was just, it was just great. I mean, and to see Charlie playing guitar is always cool because, you know, yeah. you don't see it that often until these Zoom videos came along. And, you know, I mean, hell, why not? He wrote it, I'm sure. So. Yeah, he wrote the, <laughs> and well, and, you know, it's funny because like I'd said earlier, I'd listened to Scott Ian on the Josta show today right. and. And Josta asked him, would you ever want to, would you ever entertain doing a, like a Neil Turbin, Joey Belladonna, John Bush tour, you know? And, uh, and Scott Ian was like, well, we could do that. We could do anything, but, <laughs> and specifically for me, you know, he's saying not any other band member, but I just don't think that's something we would do or we would want to do. But then like, as you know, they started talking about it and he's like, you know, now that you got me talking about it, I kind of do want to do it. <laughs> but he, but you know, then he went on to say, you know, uh, next year's a 40th anniversary and they've got a whole, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm hoping this pandemic goes away or quells or whatever shit. I right. don't know. 40th anniversary of the band. Yeah, and okay. like they've got a whole new record ready to go, and their right. whole touring cycle for the said new record is going to be two years. So maybe after that, it's something that they would, you know. But you had, you know, it's one of those things where you'd have to have everybody on board, and you had, and it wouldn't be a tour. It would just have to be something where it's like a few nights in a theater in New York City, so you could set up a really cool production and all this blah 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 blah, and you know that's. Shit, I'd travel for that. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> Don't you know it? Yeah. It's far-fetched, but it was fun to it was fun to hear them talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as much as I am a diehard John Bush fanboy, it's like, I would love to see that, but it doesn't really sound realistic because, you know, it's no. like Joey Belladonna is the guy that the majority of every, yeah. the average fan knows right. and loves. And there is a contingent of people like us that love John Bush just as much as Belladonna, but it's like... You know, I hate to say it, there's not money in bringing back Bush. There's money exactly. in keeping Belladonna, you know. And, and, and I will say that, like, yeah, I mean, I championed the John Bush era so much. Um, and, and and I I have held on to it, you know, when no one else did. We we were there. Yeah. We but, saw him live several times. Didn't yes. We? But it was, but it's almost yeah. now, it's like, you know, it, it, it's how it should be right now. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. Well, yeah, we've got Armored Saint back. They've mm-hmm. got a new album coming out this year. Right. You know, and that's amazing. And there's always that floating possibility that Bush has mentioned a couple of times on Eddie Trunk about doing his own kind of solo tour where yeah. he played Armored Saint and the Anthrax stuff. That would be great. Which would be amazing as well. So, And he'd play that one song from, from Metal Allegiance. There you go. And that one song from, you that's know, Dave right. Nelson's solo deal. Exactly. <laughs> Check out Package Rebellion if you have not. That was great. And also all the stuff Charlie's been doing with Ira Diaz and Alex Skolnick and a rotating cast of singers and other right. guests. As always, Those are some great videos as well. But yeah, so Ron Keel is the, the guest here today. Very cool interview. I did this one by myself because it was during a moment when you were working, I think. Yeah. So I had to... Do this for myself, but it's a pretty cool interview. It's right at an hour long. Talks about everything he's got going on with the Ron Keel band and all the stuff he did with Emerald Sabbath, which is something people need to check out. It's a kind of a covers project of Sabbath songs that was put together, including 
previous members of Sabbath in one form or the other. Nice. And I mean, it's got Tony Martin singing, of course, and, you know, just Rudy Sarzo, guys that were in Sabbath, even if it was just for like... Five minutes. Yeah, like Ron yeah. Kill's situation where it was just a couple weeks or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, But, <laughs> you know, he talks about that and just talks about Sabbath in general and all kinds of great stuff. And very cool interview. So let's just jump into it right here. Here's Ron Kill. First obvious question would be like, how have you been handling you know, kind of shelter in place and everything going on with the coronavirus stuff? Well, it's a great question, and I almost feel guilty with my answer because Trent, a couple of years ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, and all of a sudden we were quarantined, and life changed that day that you get the diagnosis. Obviously, you can't tour anymore. Got to stay home, take care of her while she goes through chemotherapy, radiation, nine surgeries. I'll tell you, man, we have a cabinet full of masks already on hand. Uh, wow. And from a business standpoint, it's been, for me, great to spend this time at home now that the summer touring season was supposed to start here in a couple of weeks. It now starts to hurt because I want to get back out there and play live and sing and sweat and spit and scream. I can't do that. Uh, hopefully, in a couple of months, we'll be back on stage at the Sturgis Rally and get, uh, I don't know if there'll ever be back to normal or, or if there's going to be a new normal. Whatever it is, we'll adapt to it. But uh, I, I work from home 250 days a year anyway, and then I'm on the road, you know, 100 days a year. So I love my house. I love my life. My guitars are, I'm surrounded by guitars. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck and ready to rock. So I do feel for all of our friends and fans and uh, fellow Americans and fellow citizens of, of the planet that are out there struggling through these times. My heart, my thoughts, my prayers go out to everybody who's uh, not as prepared as, as I am. But I don't want to brag, but uh, I have embraced this opportunity to create new music and escalate my online presence on patreon.com slash Ron Keel with all the great content that we're doing and, and all that. But, uh, you know, it's a serious deal. I remember when the AIDS virus struck us back in the eighties yeah. and all of a sudden that changed everything. People don't really realize that there, there never was a cure or a vaccine for AIDS. But back in the 80s, when it was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that virus came along, HIV, and all of a sudden, everything was different. And it did have an effect on the 80s rock culture, uh, because all of a sudden, having sex could kill you. And, and that changed everybody's paradigm, so to speak. And then 9-11 was another day that changed all of our lives forever, and and. We'll see how this affects us in the year and decades to come, but things are going to change. We'll just have to go with the flow. Absolutely. Do you think, I mean, obviously no one knows, but do you think touring and concerts in general will have a drastic change, or do you think it'll just be a gradual return to the same way it was? Well, another great question, Trent. <laughs> and 
I talk to people in the business every day, uh, agents, managers, venues, talent buyers, concert promoters, fans, and the media. And if you ask, you know, a hundred people that same question, you're going to get a hundred different answers. Right. I think everybody's very hopeful right now. And it, on social media, especially on Facebook, if you ask the fans, if there was a concert tomorrow, would you buy a ticket? Would you go? And they all say, yeah. Oh, hell yeah, I'd be right there in the front row. We'll see. We shall see because everybody's a hero and everybody's a rock star on Facebook. Right. Everybody's, you know, they're, they're fearless. They're, they're immune on Facebook because you're behind a keyboard and a computer screen or a phone app. When it gets to real life, are they going to line up outside the venue uh, two feet apart from each other and then fight their way to the front row and, and then uh, endure that gathering concert experience? Man, I hope so. I really hope so. I believe we should. I do believe that if I'm, this is a personal standpoint. I'm not a scientist or a doctor. I don't know, man, but I know that living life creates a certain amount of immunity and the fact that when I grew up we were drinking out of the garden hose and playing in crap and, you know we were out there we didn't have seat belts we didn't have well yeah, we, we grew up in a time when uh, you could develop immunity and I, I, I do believe that that's part of the deal the more people shelter in place and stay home and don't have that physical interaction the more vulnerable they may become and like I said, I'm not a doctor or a scientist. That's just my perception. I believe that being exposed to every every bacteria and germ and virus or whatever helps and, and does not hinder your immunity, but, but helps you be able to withstand these things if you do become infected. Uh, so I, I do hope that the concert environment will resume now. Gosh, it's going to be the NFL season with empty stadiums. Is right. it going to be concerts with empty stadiums and where the band is performing live for an empty arena? I don't know. I think we will get to that if that's if that's what we have to do. Uh, of course, we've all seen the the great shows online and on TV the last couple of months where. <laughs> There's been some great performances. Sammy Hagar in the circle comes to mind because that stuff is fantastic. What Sammy and his band are doing is it's just killer, man. It's, it sounds great. It looks great. It's it's very entertaining. Yeah. So I, I totally dig that. But then there's a lot of hacks. Every hack with an iPhone or a karaoke machine is bombarding our, our Facebook feed with, with absolute crap. So you got to <laughs> weed through that, I guess, to, to get to the good stuff. And if we have to perform online, which I do often, and interact with my fans uh, in a very personal way at patreon.com slash Ron Keel, uh, that's what we'll do. We'll do whatever we have to do. Entertainers will entertain, given whatever platform we're allowed to, uh, to use to express ourselves. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point. And I think it, it also might spawn more creativity and you know, different ideas from different people. So I'm kind of, you know, not excited about the fact of no concerts right now, but just excited to see what might come next from someone. Yeah, there's no substitute for it, though, man. As you know, as all our rockers and all your listeners and our friends and fans know, there's no substitute for seeing your 
heroes and those rock stars on stage in concert live. There's no substitute. You can't get that online. You can't get that uh, on the internet or, or on TV. There, there's just no substitute for it. Rock and roll is a spectator sport. Unlike the NFL, which I'm a huge football fan, and, and I, I really enjoy watching the NFL live on television. I don't care if there's a crowd there or not. Uh, I've been to a lot of live NFL games in the stadiums, freezing my ass off and watching the Cleveland Browns. You know, and I'm the, I'm the guy up in the stands that doesn't have a shirt on in minus 10-degree weather. That's, that's <laughs> me. But that's just crazy. You can barely see the action. You can't see all the details and all the – the replays that you see on, on the television broadcast. So I, I much prefer watching the NFL on television, whether there's a crowd or not. Rock and roll isn't like that. Rock and roll is, is meant to be shared. It's, it's an experience. It's one night where we're all together. And another point that I'd like to make is that technology and the smartphones and the broadcast platforms like YouTube and Facebook have somewhat diminished that because back when I was growing up and you know spending my money on rock concerts, it was a one night, one night only, lifetime experience that you'll never forget. Nobody had cell phones in the air. They're broadcasting everything to their friends online, saying, "Hey, look where I am," and it it, it did diminish the mystique a little bit. To me, that that concert experience of being there. It is very, very special, both for the performer and for the audience. And the fact that everybody can post a crappy, fuzzy, distorted video on their Facebook feed of the concert that they're watching through their cell phone has diminished the experience significantly. Absolutely. I agree. Well, I've noticed you guys have had time to really push the South by South Dakota album. You're sending out the pre-orders and everything, and you got the dropping digitally this Friday. I talked about the process of compiling the songs that you chose to, to record for this album. Well, starting with uh, the recording process, Trent, the experience was unlike anything I've ever been through in my 36, 37, who's counting 30 odd years of being in the music business and making records, records, I always went in the studio from that first Steeler album in 83 up until last year's Fight Like a Band album. You go in the studio on a mission. You've got a collection of songs that you've written or assembled, and you go in there with a game plan and a production uh, template, and you create this album that's in your head or in your heart. This time, it was absolutely organic and unplanned. As we were cutting the Fight Like a Band album, which was released last year, We'd go into the studio in the morning and we'd warm up or loosen up by just jamming some some of our favorite Southern Rock cover tunes. I'm pretty sure the first song we we did that one on the first day of the sessions was Flirting, flirting with Disaster. from uh, Flirting, I can't say flirting. Every song has an apostrophe at the end. Flirting with Disaster. Uh, so Flirting with Disaster was the first song we cut. We just jammed it uh, and we just loosened up and had a good time and we're playing and, and little did I know that my producer, Mike Dresch was of course recording everything that we did, everything we say and do, it ends up on the, on, on the hard drive. And, and at the end of the day, we would wind down with a couple of cocktails and, and jam a couple more tunes, 
know, after about four or five days of this, I, I realized he's recording. I said, man, play that back for me. And he played back some of the cuts that we've been doing in there. I realized right then and there, sitting in the chair next to my producer, listening on the speakers, watching the Pro Tools graph on the computer screen, I realized, uh-oh, we have an album here. We've got something really special. This is the foundation for a collection of Southern rock classics that we can create a tribute to all those bands that provided the classic rock soundtrack to our youth. Molly Hatchet, Leonard Skinner, Creedence Clearwater Revival, The Outlaws, Blackfoot, 38 Special, Marshall Tucker Band. So at that point, that's when the little light bulb goes off over Ron Keel's head and says, okay, we have an album here. And somehow the title popped into my head, South by South Dakota. Of course, I was born in the South. I was born in Georgia. I'm a hillbilly at heart. And we are playing Southern rock music, and we are based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So South by South Dakota was, didn't take – I didn't sit, sit around and think about what to call the record. It was just, it just popped into my head. So I can't take credit for that. That's a gift from above. <laughs> and then I realized, okay, if we're going to do a Southern rock tribute record, then we have to include songs by the Almond Brothers, of course. So, uh, of course, I've been doing Rambling Man and my solo acoustic show for years out on the patio or on the beach or on the bar stool. You know, I've been singing Rambling Man. And I just listened to it a couple of times, and the band clicked off the sticks and launched into that cover of Rambling Man that appears on South by South Dakota. And that's a first take. What you're hearing on the record is a first take, top to bottom, no stops, no fixes. And there's a few wrong notes in there along the way as we're just just having a good time playing the songs. And so I didn't really choose the first half dozen songs. The, I, I, those just came to us. 38 Special, Rockin' Into the Night, always been one of my favorite classic rock tunes. And then, uh, of course, we had to look back through the the history of, of rock and roll and, and Southern rock in particular realized, what are we missing here? And that Rossington Collins band song, don't misunderstand me, which is a duet with Jasmine Kane, a great singer. And we'll talk about her in a moment, I guess, or I hope, but that is a, 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 a forgotten classic in the sense that that was the first single that you heard from, Gary Rossington, Alan Collins, the survivors of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. That was the closest we were going to get after Ronnie Van Zandt died and the plane crashed and, and all that. We, we all thought Skinner was done back then. And so that was our first taste of music from the survivors. So it's got a very special place in Southern rock history. And the fact that it's a duet with a great female voice, I recruited Jasmine Kane, who is she, this girl is South Dakota. She's based in Nashville, Tennessee right now, but she was born in Sturgis, South Dakota during the bike rally. It doesn't get more South Dakota than that. <laughs> right. So that's how we chose the songs and realized, okay, now we've got this collection of, of tunes. Of course, we threw in Ghost Riders in the Sky, which was our first single back in 2015, produced by Henry Paul from The Outlaws, and Homesick, which was our 2017 summer single, and a live cut from Credence that was recorded at our very first show ever back in 2015 uh, at our very first concert. So to have that live track um, 
to commemorate that memory on South by South Dakota. It just rounds out the package perfectly. And then you realize, okay, we've got an album. Let's put it out in April. April 24th sounds good. Yeah, it's a perfect date, springtime. That way we'll get the album out and, and we'll be primed for the summer tour dates and Sturgis and all these big bike events that we do every year. And then the COVID-19 pandemic descends upon the planet. And we, we discussed it. We talked about it for probably a minute or less. Do we still do we move forward with the release plan? And it was pretty unanimous. Like, oh, yeah, of course we do. Of course we're going to put this music out right now. Is a perfect time since we can't tour and since people are hungry for inspiration for for music for you've got to have a soundtrack for 2020. This is going to be for the rest of my life and probably I, I'm venture to say for, for the rest of our fans' lives, they're going to remember 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic, and what we all went through as a, as a community, as a, as a nation, and as a planet, and as a species. And South by South Dakota is going to be the soundtrack of this year for all of us. So I think it's the perfect time to release the new album and share this music with everyone. Absolutely. Well, you, I mean, you kind of mentioned, you know, whether playing it acoustic or you guys playing it, you know, rehearsing before recording the last album or were all these songs, songs that you guys have played live or together at some point, or were there any songs on here that was a first take, uh, like a first time playing it together as well? Yeah. The Ramblin' Man, Allman Brothers song was a song that we had never played live. It's in the show now, of course, but at the time we had never, uh, never played that tune. And what we do during our live show for the Ron Keel band, anyway, this is a, this is my vehicle of choice to go out there on tour and perform at bike events, fairs, festivals, any type of event where we can get out on, on stage in front of the audience. This is my vehicle. And what we do during the show is we create these medleys, which you'll hear on the South by South Dakota album. A perfect example is the Credence medley at the end of the record. It's three or four songs mashed up, a verse and chorus of each song. Create a medley, like uh, we have a 12-minute medley for to, to Leonard Skinner. And that way, when we play for 20, 30,000 people who, honestly, you know, 90% of them probably don't know who I am. They don't know Rod Keel. They don't know Keel, my history with the 80s, Steeler and Black Sabbath and all that. They, they're just there to be entertained. They want to see a great show. And we don't want to be a cover band. We don't want to go out there and do a bunch of cover songs. So what we do is we create these medleys where we'll, we'll take you on a little 12-minute journey through the history of Skinner with Give Me Three Steps and Sweet Home Alabama, just a verse, a chorus of each, for a little free bird, a little, a little bit of uh, the Marshall Tucker Band. We've got a great Tucker medley built into the show. We've got uh, an Allman Brothers medley with Midnight Rider and Ramblin' Man. So we do these medleys. So we had played most of these songs live in one format or the other. But sometimes we hadn't done the full versions. We just do the verse of the chorus. Then we have to go back and learn. What do we do during the guitar solo? How does this song end? <laughs> so we have to kind of fill in the blanks of some of these songs that we've done lives that we had never done the actual entire song we just done a piece of it as part of those medley so that's uh, that's one way that i can get out on stage in front of 
you know, at, at a big event like Hot Harley Nights, where we opened for Night Ranger last year, or the, the Surges Rally, which is a big one for us every year, we can get out there in front of thousands of people who don't know who I am, still play the original music. We do the Right to Rock and Tears of Fire and Because the Night and Speed Demon and all the Keel classics, songs from throughout my career. And we mix those into the show with these American rock classics. And people seem to absorb the entire experience so much better. And it makes us a national act, an original band. But we have these moments where we're paying tribute to some of these legendary icons and that's what we're doing in full force on the South by South Dakota record. That, that was kind of my next question. I mean, you've got the your original Southern Rock songs, these Southern Rock, you know, covers and medleys you're playing, and then you throw in some Kill songs. Like, how do how do you think the Kill songs flow and fit in with all the Southern Rock Ron Kill band songs when you play them live? Oh, another great question. Another great question and perfect example. When we're opening for like Tesla. We toured with Tesla a couple of years back and you've got a 30, 40 minute set and you're opening for Tesla. I open with the right to rock. That's usually, and normally you'd save that one for the end because it's your big hit. Right. Of course I do everything backwards. I <laughs> open with it and we open with the right to rock and we go straight into the Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings country classic mamas. Don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. <laughs> which is also on the South by South Dakota record, a very keelized version of that song on the new album, by the way. So we'll go right from right to rock into Willie and Waylon, and it works absolutely perfectly. Uh, not only from my standpoint or where I, what I'm feeling and thinking and seeing, but it works great from, a, from an audience standpoint as well. The object of an album or a concert or any experience, whether it's a movie or whatever, you've got to take the audience or the listener on a ride, a journey, so to speak. You can't have an action movie that doesn't have a love scene or a, you know, a, a tender moment or whatever. You can't just have fight scenes and car chases the whole time, even though that's why we go see the movie in the first place. You want, you want to mix in some of those other feelings and emotions and textures along the way to make the movie or the concert a real human experience and, and I th I'd like to think after over three decades of doing it, I've become pretty good at it. And I can build a show, man. I can, I can take the audience on that journey and on that ride to where they feel like they've experienced something special. And that's, that's the object of the, of the game. That's why we get out there and, and do the shows. It's not about the money or the, the fame or the glory. It's about that experience, sharing that and hopefully making those people feel the same way I felt when I was a kid, going to see bands like Black Sabbath or Van Halen, those experiences that I had. I'm trying to recreate that uh, in the modern age for, for the fans that come out to see us. I want them to, to go home thinking, man, that was great. I really enjoyed it. I'll never forget it. A couple years ago, we had uh, Dave Olson on the podcast and, with EMP and he was talking about you and then now you guys are working with high vault music. How was that transition and how's everything going with high vault so far? Man, it's going great. Uh, Bill Chavis from high vault music has been a good friend of mine for 20 years now. And, and obviously we love Dave Ellison and, and value and appreciate that experience. But 
it was time to move on for both of us. Dave has a lot of stuff going on with his solo project at Megateth and his book, uh, his books, plural. And we, uh, we felt like it was time to move on to, to a situation where we're a little bit better fit for, for highball music. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the experience of working with Bill. We talk, you know, three, four, five times a day. We're, we're in close contact. We're partners in this project, and he's done a great job so far with uh, the infrastructure that it takes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in having a record company. Oftentimes, it isn't the most profitable way to go for an artist these days because in uh, you can release the record yourself. You can self-manufacture, self-produce, put it out there, hopefully sell, what, 10,000 copies. But I, I just, I'm old school, man. I like having a record company behind me. I like going to the studio and having somebody, somebody else record me. I don't do home albums except for my solo acoustic records, which I'm doing one, another one this year. But that's old school, man. I want to have a, a photographer taking the pictures, not just somebody with a cell phone. I want to have a, a producer in the studio, you know, recording the albums. I want to have a record company providing that infrastructure and day-to-day business with the accounting, the marketing, the promotion, the everything that goes into that. Uh, I just think it's really important, and there are a few of them left. Of course, I've worked with Frontiers Records in the past on the Kill Reunion album in 2009, which was in 2010. It was released, recorded in 2009. That was a great experience. Love Frontiers. Love their product, Serafino and Mario and the gang over there. Amazing people, and they do a lot for melodic rock and hard rock and and this type of music, so uh, they're they're doing it right. The uh, Highball Music is one of those labels that is also doing it right with with the Ron Keel Band, Every Mother's Nightmare, Asphalt Valentine, and PJ Farley from Tricksters got a new album coming out on the label. So I'm in good company with Highball Music, and I appreciate the the relationship. And so far, it's been fantastic. It's only going to get better as now we ramp up into the in the phase two. And, We've got the digital release worldwide, just literally 48 hours from now as we speak, on iTunes, Amazon.com, Google Play, Deezer, uh, you know, Spotify. All that's going to happen here in a couple of days with the digital release worldwide. And then the worldwide premiere of the Red, White, and Blue music video, which is that's a whole other story. If you want to ask about that, I'd be glad to explain it because I'm excited about it. We have a video for Red, White, and Blue coming off the South by South Dakota album that will premiere worldwide on ultimateclassicrock.com on May 28th. So to, to have this epic music video, which is something I could tell you about the making of it, and I'd love to, but to have that premiere on ultimateclassicrock.com on May 28th is a huge victory for us. And I want to thank UCR and RPR team and, and Highball Music for making that all happen. Yeah, I saw the, I think I saw some pictures and read a little stuff like where you guys were all, you know, obviously with everything going on, you filmed each of you in a different spot. So yeah, like, was that your idea or, or was it a director thing or how did that all come together? No, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the girl behind the curtains, you know, I'm the wizard of the wizard of Rod Keelband, whatever. But yeah, it was my idea, and I thought, of course, you've got a new album coming out. You need a single. 
and you need a video. What's the single going to be? And that song, Red, White, and Blue, is an American rock and roll classic. But right now, the message behind that song is global and timeless. And it's not just about the American pride that we like to, uh, to, to talk about or share. It's about what we're all going through with this COVID-19 pandemic here in 2020. And it just felt like the perfect choice for a single. It, it was a top 30 single for Leonard Skinner back in 2003, but it's one of those forgotten classics that not everybody's heard or not everybody's familiar with. So it does have a, a freshness about it that I like. I didn't want to release Sweet Home Alabama. Obviously, it's the first single. Red, White, and Blue is the perfect tune for these times. And of course, when it comes time to film a video, how are we going to do this? We're all in isolation. Everybody's working from home. Everybody is sheltering in place. So what I did was obviously the, the obvious choice was to take each member of the band to a different iconic location in South Dakota and film them separately, both close-ups and from a distance. Of course, when you're doing the close-up, you use the zoom lens, but we've got the guys in the band isolated by faith and standing united in this new red, white, and blue music video. I was able to film my footage at Mount Rushmore, which is obviously when you think of South Dakota, and you think of America, and, you know, Mount Rushmore is, is one of those iconic monuments that, that immediately comes to mind. So I'm going to film my stuff at Mount Rushmore, and I go out there. And it's the first day of spring on a Saturday afternoon at Mount Rushmore, and there's nobody there, man. The, the place is closed down, the offices, the gift shop, the tourist areas. Of course, you can get in. Parking's free. Free to park. And I walked up there with my guitar, and there's nobody there. And I was able to film my footage for the Red, White, and Blue video in total isolation at a place that normally on a Saturday afternoon in springtime would be packed with tourists. Right. And I think every element of the video captures that. We filmed the keyboard player at a place called Terrace Park in Sioux Falls on a Saturday afternoon. When you would normally have families there picnicking and kids playing on the playground, and, and it's just a beautiful outdoor park with a band shell. And we play live there every year, once a year for a benefit concert. We go there on a Saturday. The weather's beautiful, and there's nobody there. It's isolated. It's absolutely like it's eerie, like a ghost town. So, of course, I'm not a big fan of the lockdown, but without it, we could never have filmed a video with this striking content that we've got for Red, White, and Blue. And uh, each guy in the band built separately at a different location, but it all comes together at the end, and we're really, really proud of this clip, man. It's something I'm going to treasure and watch and, and want to share with our fans and, and our neighbors and friends across the planet for years to come, and that's going to premiere at ultimateclassicrock.com May 28th. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. So was that a, well, you've mentioned Erie. Was that a weird feeling being at a, you know, a place like Mount Rushmore almost by yourself and maybe a cameraman? No, it was my wife. Okay. Filming. You know, I took Renee with me. Renee, Renee worked the camera. Okay. And we had uh, a friend of mine who lives in, in 
Rapid City close by came out, kept his distance, you know, you know, no handshakes, no hugs. And one of the weird things about the whole deal, Trent, was at the end of the base footage when we filmed our bass player because we wanted to pay tribute to the truck drivers, the truckers that are keeping the wheels turning during these difficult times. They're delivering the food and supplies and everything. They're, they're out there on the road, and sometimes they can't even get into the truck stop to, to take a shower or to go to the bathroom or to get a bite to eat. So the tribute to the truckers was a big part of the video. So I've got Gino, RC, my bass player, on top of a Kenworth 18-wheeler, up there rocking out with the jets flying in the background and the sunset. And, you know, it's absolutely epic footage. But this guy, I mean, we've been in, I don't even know how many bands we've been in together the last 22 years. We've been best friends. I mean, he's he is like a brother to me. And we have been through the road and traveled the world together. He's been in the Ron Keel band, Keel, Iron Horse. I mean, th- th- he's he's family to me. And I'm filming him, of course, being the control freak that I am. I'm up on the, the forklift getting raised. The forklift is driving me around this truck and raising me or lowering me as I say, lower, higher, whatever. And I've got the camera in hand, and I'm filming Gino, myself, on top of this Kenworth truck. And the footage is absolutely beautiful. And we got done. He climbs down off the truck, and I climb down off the forklift, and we high-fived. And we each looked at each other with our eyes like big as teacups. Going, <gasps> we touched. We had physical contact. We high-fived, and we're freaking out. This is kind of fashion. The road, the sweat, the hotel rooms, and the, the, the airplanes, and the travels with for over two decades. That was the weirdest thing, to high-five my best friend and feel weird about it. I was like, man, how are we ever going to shake hands again? How are we ever going to hug? I don't know, but that was the weirdest thing about the entire video shoot was high-fiving my best friend of over 20 years after we filmed his epic footage and then feeling weird about touching another man's palm, high-fiving. And, and uh, yeah, Mount Rushmore was weird. It was cool because I didn't have any – nobody hassled me except, well, the park ranger did come by and give me a – a, a citation, which I had to pay a substantial fee. Well, that was down the road, though. That was after the Mount Rushmore footage. I uh, We got done with all the, the filming at Mount Rushmore, and then we went down the road, and I, thought, I saw a little pull-off area on the, the road there, and I thought, man, this is great. You could see the mountain in the background. How about we get a shot of me sitting on the guardrail, just singing the tune, and we pulled over, you know, parked the truck. I get out the guitar. We've got the camera on the tripod, and I'm I'm just sitting there on the guardrail singing the song with an acoustic guitar. That's when I got busted. <laughs> All the footage done <laughs> earlier, but that's when we got popped, and I did have to pay the the permit fee and the fine and all that stuff, but it's well worth it. Wait till you see this video, man. It's, it's worth all of those experiences just to have the six-minute movie uh, and this this piece of our, our lives and a piece of this album in 2020 and all we're going through right now to, to live forever. We'll, we'll watch this decades from now and look back on 2020 and remember what it was like. You've mentioned Skinner a few times throughout this. I'm, I was born in 77, so I didn't really have the experience of living through that plane crash, but you know, I've lived through yeah. other musicians. I love passing. Like what was that like as a huge fan of the band? like having that happen in your lifetime? 
Wow. Uh, you know, and I remember the day it happened. It was, I don't remember the year, but I remember the day. I remember we were living in a trailer in Texas, and I saw the news, and then it was dinner time. You know, it was like this was on the television news as Mama served dinner, and I went to the table, and I've got one hand on the fork and one eye on the TV, and I'm looking at the, the news report of the plane crash, and I was crying. And my dad called me a sissy and, you know, gave me a load of crap about crying over these rock stars dying that I didn't even know. But, you know, that was just that was how I felt at the time. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of my heroes and friends and family die through the years. I don't know that I ever, I didn't cry when John Lennon was shot. I didn't cry when Elvis died. I didn't cry when Bon Scott died. But I cried when Skinner, when Ronnie Van Zant died in the plane crash. I cried that day. So um, it did hit hit me personally. I had just gotten into Skinner literally that year when I bought the One More From The Road live album. That was my really, that was the first Skinner album I bought. And I was really into live albums at the time. Frampton Comes Alive or Judas Priest, at least in the East. Uh, the Skinner, One More From The Road. And Street Survivors came out. That was their next studio album, and I bought that and just loved it. So it was fresh. It was on my turntable when I saw that news that the plane crash had happened, and I did cry that day. And I, I'm such a, a huge Skinner fan, Trent, that I actually toured with them for two weeks in 1999, not as the opening act, but as the T-shirt guy. And my, I had a buddy of mine, Casey Compton, who he was in charge of merchandising for Skinner. And I'm off the road. I came back from the DOD tours overseas. I was entertaining our, our troops and our military on the bases throughout the Mediterranean and throughout Europe. And I came home for, I think I was home for a month, sitting there. And he calls, hey, man, I'm out with Skinner. You want to come join me? You have a good time. You can sell some shirts, see the show. And I, I was, hell yes. Uh, so I went on tour with Leonard Skinner for two weeks and I got to see the show, but man, I, I got a huge respect for the, for the t-shirt guy during that tour. We'd be the first guys to get there. You know what? Three in the afternoon, you got to count every piece, every shirt. And Skinner had 28 items on the merch table, uh, fishing lures and autograph posters and t-shirts of every style and size, and guitar picks. And, you know, it's just a huge array of, Leonard Skinner merchandise. So we got to count every piece. Then you put it up and you make the display and then, you know, you have dinner and you watch the show and you see Skinner do what they do. And it was fantastic. And then after the show's over, as soon as the last song, as soon as Freebird is done, the audience descends upon me, thousands of people in my face going, I want two XL of them girl shirts. I want four of those. I want three of those. I want to be a fishing lure, two guitar picks. And I got to do the math. And it's getting overwhelmed by the audience. So I, I did the deal, did the t-shirt sales, did my job as the quote, merch guy, unquote. And then after that, then you got to count out. Then you got to count everything that you have left, do the settlement with the venue or the promoter. Then you get in the truck and you go to the next town. So the t-shirt guy, man, that uh, ever since then, I've certainly respected my merch team. But uh, I could proudly say that I toured with Litter Skinner for two weeks in 1999, not as the opening act, but as the t-shirt guy. 
That's awesome. Another band you're a big fan of and obviously have a history with is Sabbath and the Emerald Sabbath stuff. I know, you know, you were involved with three of the tracks where they're picking them because I thought the song choices were great. That, you know, it wasn't, you know, the obvious bigger songs and, you know, Hole in the Sky is one of my favorite Sabbath songs and Trashed as well. Oh, yeah. And a great question. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm really proud of that Emerald Sabbath record where we, we could assemble ex-members of Sabbath, like myself, Vinnie Apice, uh, uh Dave Walker, gosh, Beth Bevan, the, the list goes on. What a great lineup on that Emerald Sabbath album. And the producer of the record, Michael Sullivan, contacted me because of my history with Sabbath, and he asked me to sing Trashed. And, you know, they probably could have asked me to sing any song from the Sabbath catalog, and I'd have said yes. <laughs> you know, to be involved in a project of that magnitude is a huge honor and a thrill. So it wouldn't have mattered what song they suggested or requested. I'd have done it. But he said Trashed. And from the Born Again record, which was uh, kind of a personal connection with me because that was the album when Ian Dillon was the singer with Sabbath for that one record in 84. That was when I joined the band. And that was the album that I was listening to the most when I joined the band because it was their current release in the spring of 84. And Trash was on the song list that Tony Iommi gave me. He'd written out a song list. Is it here? Be ready to do these. These are the songs for the next tour. And Trash was on there. So, of course, I rehearsed it. I learned it. I sang it. But this is 1984, okay? <laughs> now, fast forward 30-odd years, and I'm in the studio cutting the vocals of that song. And Gillen, obviously one of the Hall of Fame vocalists in hard rock and metal of all time. And that song is super high and super fast. I mean, there's not a chance to breathe when you're cutting that vocal. And it's a huge challenge. But what are you, you going to do? I scheduled the session. I did not do the song at home. I did it with my producer, my engineer, in a real recording studio. I don't, I don't do that, that stuff at home. I went in, and I had the lyric sheet in front of me, and, and I just said, let it roll. Man. Let's see what happens. And I got through the first couple of verses, and I thought, okay, we got this. Uh, and from there, once you get in the studio and you feel that confidence, you listen back to your, your first couple of verses, your first takes, then you know, yeah, I got this. We can we can pull this off. So getting trashed under my belt was a huge accomplishment. By then, the producer had reached out and said, hey, by the way, you want to do Hole in the Sky as well? Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, to do a Dylan track and an Aussie track on this several Sabbath project? Hell yeah. So... I was surprised, thinking, oh, it's just Ozzy, right? You know, I, I love Ozzy. I love, love, love me some Ozzy. However, he's not the most complicated or technical singer to uh, to emulate or, or to, to cover. So I thought, ah, piece of cake. Yeah, just, it's just an Ozzy song, right? So I go in the studio to cut Hole in the Sky, and I realize, oh, shit, this is high. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, shoot, this is high. And... Uh, that Aussie vocal on Hole in the Sky was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be, so maybe I was a little surprised by that, but we pulled it off and really, really happy with the results, of course, at that point. And I'm saying, man, you got to let me cut a Dio song. You know, I've done the Gillen, I've done the Aussie, 
give me a Dio track. Ronnie James Dio was a friend of mine, a huge influence on my my career, my upbringing, and when we met in uh, in Hollywood in uh, the early '80s, we we instantly bonded. And Ronnie took us on tour at Keel as the opening act on the entire Sacred Heart tour in 1986. 14 countries across Europe. Every show sold out because Dio was Dio ruled in 1986. We started in uh, Helsinki, Finland, and went from from there to the Hammersmith Odeon. Three nights sold out in London, and so many great shows and memories in between. So Ronnie, Ronnie was a huge, huge part of my life, and obviously one of all of our favorite vocalists of all time. So the challenge of delivering a vocal on Die Young, which was Ronnie's one of Ronnie's signature tracks off the Heaven and Hell album. Huge challenge. And my goal was to make it something that I would be proud of, that Ronnie, wherever he's listening from, could listen to my version of Die Young and be proud and give me a spiritual pat on the back, so to speak, and also to show the fans what it might have been like had I continued with Sabbath in 84, 85, 86. This is what you might have gotten, although it's decades later. I think the vocal still... uh, Stands the, the I mean, it, it's, it, it, it measures up, and I'm very, very, very proud of, of all three tracks on that record. And I would love to do a volume two. There are a lot more Sabbath songs in the catalog that I would love to sing, and we still do those in the show as well. We do Heaven and Hell in the show in the Ron Keel Band Show, the recent tour of Australia. Uh, that was a, a highlight of, of the gig, and I'd love to add more Black Sabbath to the catalog and to the to the, the Ron Keel Band live show if, as soon as possible. As soon as we can get back out there and do any show, man, probably be some more Sabbath on the set list. Speaking of, you know, the 80s and the Keel days, like what was the transition like going from working with Gene Simmons to Michael Wagner as a producer? It was, you know, it's, it's always it's kind of like a new new girlfriend, you know. <laughs> you know, you get to explore all the different uh, aspects, attributes, talents, skills. Uh, the experience with Gene was amazing. And the experience with both guys, to be able to work with both of those producers back to back, really has made more of a difference on my life and my recording career than I could even acknowledge, because they taught me so much. They were both really, really, really good at what they did, man. Gene taught me how to how to write great rock songs, how to record great hard rock albums and little stuff that, that you don't normally recognize or understand or even even mention, but the fact that how Gene would make sure that every bass guitar note, riff, or passage complemented and accented the bass drum. Most people don't even realize that, man. That bass drum, doom, doom, doom. Whatever that pattern is that the the drummer's doing on the the kick drum has got to match what the bass player's doing on the bass guitar. Gene taught me that. It was, and we still use that. Now we have we have rehearsals where we just rehearse the kick drum and the bass guitar. We make sure every pattern, every note, every riff, every run is in sync. That's the foundation of your entire song, your entire recording, your entire band. That bass guitar with the kick drum. I didn't know that, man. I, 
I never even thought about it. I never realized, hey, man, that's, that's, that makes good sense you know, for these instruments to be working together. They're both occupying the lower spectrum of the frequency range. That bass guitar has got to be doing that same pattern as the kick drum, right? Whatever it is. Gene taught me that. That's going to be with me forever. Every song that I write, every, every song I play. And Wagner was the tech whiz. He was the guy who, that was the first digital recording back in, what, 87? And the fact that he had such a firm grip on the tech stuff. He let me kind of control the songs and the, the, the musical direction and the orchestration, how the instruments and the guitars work together and all that. But then he would, he would just take it to the next level. We would do six guitar, rhythm guitar overdubs. And on each track, we use a different guitar and a different amp. So on the left side of your stereo spectrum, you're going to hear six guitars, one with a Strat through this amp, one with a Les Paul through that amp, or whatever. Just stacking these multiple massive guitar tracks with each, each track using a different guitar and a different amp. I would have never thought of that. And I... That's one thing I still use to this day. Now, we don't do six tracks of any rhythm. Screw that. I thought I'm not sitting here doing six takes of, of every guitar part to a different guitar and a different amp, but we always switch amps and switch guitars. So you get that blend of sound. So you're getting not just one guitar tone. You're, you're adding that single coil sound underneath the humbuckers, and you're you're blending the sound of two different guitars and two different amplifiers. Not two. That'd be two, but not six. Uh, but Wagner was overkill, man. If, if, if you're going to play guitar, you're going to play six tracks. <laughs> if you're going to do background vocals, we have to have 75 people in here. And it, was, it was absolutely over the top. But I learned so much from both guys, man. And, and Kevin Beamish as well, who produced the Rock and Roll Outlaw uh, track for the Dudes movie soundtrack. And, so many producers, Paul Sorkino, who produced my vocals on the Kill Reunion album in 2010, and my guy Mike Dresch, who's been working with me side by side for the last five years with all of the Ron Keel band recordings. I love working with these guys. I love being produced. I love that input, that expertise, that knowledge, and that perspective that they can offer me that I can't hear or see. I'm in television, man. I'm here. I'm just singing and playing and trying to express myself. And these producers that I've been surrounded by have had a huge impact on my music and my life. I mean, you've been doing this for nearly 40 years and your voice is still at a high level. What have you done throughout the years to keep your voice where it is? You know, that's, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that. And, you know, my, my one saving grace I do believe, Trent, is that I've never stopped. I sing every day. I continue to work on my craft. It's important to me to, to be able to control my instrument and play it properly. And I do believe if you take three months off or six months off, or even during these pandemic times, man, I'm down here in the studio in my performance area at my house. I've got a stage built in my basement, and I'll do the show. I'll go in there, and I'll... I'll wail the mic stand around, put holes in the ceilings, and I'll scream my guts out. I do believe that keeping the wheels turning has been a huge benefit to me. The fact that uh, 
I, I stay healthy. That's a huge part of it. You've got to be healthy. The voice is a physical instrument, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, the fact that I, I do work out, I do eat right, I uh, probably eat too right. <laughs> uh, I'm not one of those goody-goody guys. Man, I'll have a cocktail. I'll, I'll have some coffee. I'll, I'll probably don't, don't get enough sleep. I'm, I probably talk too much, as you can tell from this interview, because talking will certainly put a wear and tear on, on the vocal cords. I do talk a lot. I'm sure you and your listeners have realized that by now. But the, the fact that uh, I have had some great training back in the day and the fact that I do it constantly, every day I sing. But, you know, the most important factor, I think, Trent, is the fact that I really want to sound good. You've got to want to kick ass. You've got to really want it as bad or more than the guy next year, the guy before you or the guy after. I want to sound good. I really want it. Uh, some of these guys, and I'm not pointing fingers or naming names, of uh, some of my peers that are my age that are just going through the motions, collecting a paycheck. Screw that, man. It's not going to happen on, on my watch, with my voice, with my music. Um, a lot of it is, is there's so many factors that go into the voice, what you ate, how much you slept. But the voice comes from the heart, man, and where the heart leads. The throat will follow. You've got to really want to sound good. You've got to know how to control your instrument. Always continue to implement that training and that experience. God, for you've been doing it for 40 years. You should be able to do it, you know, as good or better. And one more thing on this topic, because I've got to acknowledge my heroes that are inspiring me at this age to still bring my A game. Guys like Sammy Hagar, top of the list, man. Sammy, what, 70 what? I don't know. <laughs> Still crushing it. Uh, Rob Halford, Steven Tyler. These guys are 70, I, I'm guessing. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't keep track of their birthdays, but they're 70-ish. <laughs> and they're still killing it at that age. That gives me the inspiration. And I want to be like those guys. And those guys inspired me back in the mid-70s. Rob Halford, Steven Tyler, and Sammy Hagar all gave me the right to rock when I was just a kid, man. I was 13, 14 years old. And I grew up listening to their voices and their songs. And they're still delivering the goods. No pun intended, Rob. But, man, they are delivering the goods. How can I do any less? Man, those are, those are the guys that set the bar. I'm just trying to, to measure up. Yeah, it's amazing, I saw Rob Halford or with Priest last year, and I mean, just for that guy at that age to still sound like that is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, it is, man. He's changed. Of course, we all evolve and mature, but it still sounds great. You know, it's still it's still a great tone and great pitch and great delivery, and uh, none of us sound like we did thirty years ago. I'm not going to. Uh, try and blow that kind of smoke up your listeners' asses, but we do what we do to the best of our ability at this day and age and in this time. And as long as it's good, quality, vocal tone, delivery, that pitch, enunciation, that commitment to singing well, I think that's what matters. And there's certain songs that are out of my vocabulary there are certain songs that are out of Rob's vocabulary as well. Um, 
you find a way to to deliver those songs to the best of your ability to the crowd. Now there are uh, luckily the Keel hits. And I'm very thankful that all of the Keel hits, right to rock, because of the night, somebody's waiting, tears of fire, rock and roll outlaw. I'm glad that uh, no pain, no gain was not a hit song because I don't think I could hit that today. But <laughs> it's still a great song and a fan favorite. Speed Demon still in the show though, and uh, I, I still managed to get that one done. And last year at Keel Fest, my goodness, and we didn't even talk about this, Trent. Hope you got a minute. Uh, you can edit this out if you want, but I gotta say it, man. Keel Fest last year, May tenth, twenty nineteen, in Columbus, Ohio. I put together a show that featured Steeler for the first time in 35 years, Keel and Ron Keel Band, a three-hour performance with no breaks. There's no intermission, no stops, no pauses. And, of course, if you're going to do a Steeler show, you've got to do Hot on Your Heels, some of those screaming metal songs that I haven't sung <laughs> since then. I mean, literally, it's been 35 years since I'd sung Hot on Your Heels. And it's in the show, man. It, it, we made it, and uh, I was able to deliver that song and that Steeler reunion performance in a way that at least I'm, I'm proud of it, and the audience enjoyed it and, and all that. But uh, you got to dig deep, man. That, that voice comes from the heart, like I said, and where the heart leads, the voice will follow. Absolutely. Well, kind of on a, on a different note, this uh, Rockin' Recipes for Autism cookbook's coming out like, what uh, like what did you end up submitting? My recipe for the killer chili is okay. on page oh, page fifty eight, I think, and, and uh, we are cooking up in the Keel House one recipe each day from the Rock and Recipes for Autism book. Really proud to be a part of this project and help promote Kenny Wilkerson, the bass player from Nova Rex, who is also the author of the book, and his son has been. Uh, experiencing autism now he's, he's 18 years old but kenny's been through that he has created this fantastic all-star cookbook with all of my peers and rock star friends contributing recipes to, to the cookbook i encourage all your listeners to check it out at rockin that's without a cheat rockin <laughs> recipes for autism.com you can also get autographed copies of the book at my website ronkeel.com and uh, just uh, it's it's a great it's a great cause, great food, and a great a great package. The book is nice, hardbound, glossy pages, big, thick, hefty cookbook that you're going to want to take around to all your concerts and events once the concerts and events resume, and you're going to want to get these rock star chefs to sign and autograph your your cookbook because you know, you've got guys from Poison, Quiet Riot, and Warrant, and and me, and you know just. So many other great rock chefs contributing to this rock and recipes for autism book. Thank you for asking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Is your uh, chili hot, spicy? You know, any chili like mine. Yeah, mine's hot. Okay, but you can add as as many or as few jalapenos or serrano peppers or habaneros as you want. You can make it to taste. It really just depends on how many peppers you feel like slicing up. So you can make it mild. <laughs> it's still great. It's still totally organic, and there's no chemicals or pre-made chili mix powder or anything like that. It's all my spices come from the vine, from the uh, the habaneros, the serrano peppers, and the jalapeno peppers. 
but you can use as many or as few of those peppers as you prefer. I like it hot, man. I like it hot. I, I, I want to be gasping and coughing and choking and stuff when I eat a dose of raw keel chili. So, but you can make it to taste. And last night we had Kenny Wilkerson's recipe, literally, man. It was fantastic. The It Ain't Easy Being Cheesy Meatloaf. My wife, Renee, cooked it up. You know, we're, we're using the cookbook every day this week to help promote the cause and to help Kenny raise awareness for his cookbook and for autism. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to getting a copy. Well, I got to I got to say the the Fight Like a Band album was excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of South by South Dakota, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me today. I appreciate the opportunity, Trent. Great job. And thanks for the coverage. And to you and all your listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy. And say somewhat sane and whip the rock. There you go, Ron Kill of the Ron Kill Band, formerly of Kill and Steeler. A huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her continued support of this podcast. Of course. And of course, a big thank you to Ron Kill for taking some time out there to talk about everything he's got going on and some previous stuff. So as you heard in that interview, they've got the video, you know, in the interview he said coming out soon. It's out now. Their video of uh, Red, White, and Blue, the cover of the Skinnerd song. And that's kind of something else I thought was cool. You know, they released this Southern Rock covers album. And there was a few on there that are the signature songs you would expect, like Flirting with Disaster and big hits. Like they did 38 Special Rockin' Through the Night. So really? in, instead of like sticking to like the obvious huge hits and with Skinnerd, obviously, this is something that came out in the 2000s. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was kind of cool to not. Just picked the obvious huge hits, son, which they covered Blackfoot as well. Oh, there you go. Train, train, which everybody knows and loves. So, yeah, check out their new covers album, South by South Dakota, and then their album that came out about a year ago, Fight Like a Band, Ron Kill Band. Got some great stuff coming out, and glad to have them on the show. And if this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. We've had on a ton of guys from back in that 80s era where Ron Kill got a start, guys like Frank Hannon of Tesla. Mark Kendall of Great White, uh, Bill Leverty of Firehouse, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio. I've had on Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, guys from Lillian Axe, Taiketto, Warrant, Trickster. I'm sure there's shit. I'm ton of stuff I'm forgetting, but uh, Mark Slaughter, Michael Shanker. Yeah, Michael Shanker. Huh? Not Michael Shanker. <laughs> Robin uh, McCauley. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> Again, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, and, of course, a ton of other guys from bands like Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> Seven Dust, Shine Down, Shooter Jennings. A lot of other bands that start with an S. So, Craig Gass was on Josta Show a couple weeks ago. Yes, I know I'm talking about Josh show again, but that's all good. You can fucking just deal with it. It's the Josh show. I approve. <laughs> and they were going to do a sketch like right when coronavirus started as he was going to do it as Gene Simmons and be like, you know, uh, we heard kiss invented the coronavirus and we have the anecdote. Just go to kissonline.com <laughs> and pay $10,000. But then like it, it really popped off into what it, came so they're like we better not do that's a bad taste <laughs> right. but that was that was fucking great so <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, for those of you who aren't aware, Craig Gass does the most amazing, <laughs> most amazing Gene Simmons impersonation ever. And then, of course, he does a great Paul Stanley. Yes, an amazing Lars Ulrich. He does an amazing, and he does a pretty good. Uh, there's somebody else he does. I can't remember, <laughs> but those are definitely his top three. Yeah, Lars Ulrich, Paul Stanley, and Gene Simmons. I mean, you would really think it's them. Yeah, <laughs> and in fact, like he's talked about that before on the Josh's show and other podcasts. Whenever he's done the the Kiss Cruise. Yeah, he would uh, do like announcements yeah. as Gene Simmons, and yeah. you know people would think it was Gene Simmons until yeah. it got too like outlandish. Yeah, the ship is going down, and if you want a raft, go to kissonline.com. <laughs> yeah. And there's like different levels of rafts you can. Yeah, you know. <laughs> if you want a raft with Ace Freely, it will be eight thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had the actual Gene Simmons on here, so look that one. Yes, up. we have. <laughs> <laughs> SoundCloud.com backslash Thunderdash Underground. You can also hear it at iTunes, Google Music. You can get on our website at The Thunder Underground and listen there. You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard except for Spotify. You can follow us. You can get on our website and find all our social medias there Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us on YouTube at The Thunder Underground. We've got a lot of videos and stuff on there that are separate from the podcast so check that out and coming up here in the next couple weeks we have jeff sandoval and micah riza of healing the fray we've also got joel grind of toxic holocaust yeah both of those are really cool and then we've got some other stuff in the works as well and once again this thursday night 7 p.m central on our facebook page we'll be live talking about who knows what so get on there and join us and Talk about who knows what with us. Right. All right. Once again, thank you to Ron Kill, Best Bet Promotions, Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, and DEB Concerts. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.